Hi there, I'm Shula Meet, Bear Love Tove. You can call me Shula for short, and I'm the entrepreneur's therapist. So I've been thinking about toxic uh, hustle culture lately, and um, you know how pernicious it is? Uh, Tara McMullen, who's a writer, uh, an author, a teacher, a thinker, and I should say links to everything will be in the notes. Um, Tara McMullen says American culture is hustle culture. And I would say as a Canadian, uh, North American culture is hustle culture. It's everywhere. And it's so pernicious that you might be pushing yourself to work very hard at the same time as you thinking you're, you aren't into the hustle. I know, uh, for me, I realized that my belief that I'm not into the hustle. And so therefore I can't possibly be hustling was hiding the truth of my reality from me. Um, I, I became aware of this in the spring of 2023. I was so tired. It had been a long haul, not only with the pandemic and its impact, but also unrelated personal and business stressors that had been on the table for me since 2018. And if you've ever heard of the Holmes Raw Stress Inventory, this is a very famous stress inventory that sometimes therapists will, when on the first session, you know, a person will come and the therapist will hand them the inventory of major life events and like the things that have been going on for me since 2018 hit almost every one of the major items on that in inventory. At least it felt like that. You know, I'm sort of exaggerating, but really not by much. I was so tired, like to the very bone. And I thought like in my conceit and also in my kind of like, I'm not into hustle culture, so I'm not hustling point of view. I thought that because I didn't work evenings and weekends that I wasn't hustling. I thought that because I don't work on civic holidays and take leave for my business on an annual basis that I wasn't hustling. And because I thought that my behavior wasn't the same behavior I and others perceive as hustling, I thought I wasn't hustling. Because I had recovered from toxic productivity and connecting self-worth with success, I thought that neither of these were driving me to hustle. And you know, I don't rise and grind any day of the week. And this, you know, allowed me to think that I wasn't reproducing toxic grind culture in my life and in my work, but I was so wrong. Oh my goodness. Even with the so-called healthy boundaries and healthy mindset I had cultivated, North American hustle culture had wormed its way into my approach to my work. Uh, and even though I say I'm anti-capitalist and anti-hustle culture, I was still affected by them. And like, what a conceit anyways, we're all affected. How would I be exempt? It's the water we swim in, right? And so while I wasn't driving myself hard 24 seven, I was still driving myself hard. And the fact that it was only within the certain limits that I had constructed for myself, that allowed me to think I wasn't hustling, but I was still experiencing more self-imposed stress than I needed to. And I was still wearing myself out. I was still hustling. So what is hustle culture anyway? Like, where does it come from? Hustle culture is a way of thinking that leads to behaviors that focus intensely on productivity, ambition, and success, and success regardless of the cost. And so NPR's Isabella Rosario says that it's fashionable to work yourself to death or to appear to be doing so. And that's why hustle culture is toxic. This emphasis on work over everything else Throughout the night, but it had its origins, like mo much of what we now see as uh, common in white Western cultures, the idea of hustle throughout the 1900s 
came from Black U.S. American culture, and it described how hard many Black U.S. Americans had to work just to get by. And, in the res- and, and then in the 1990s, the term made its way into rap lyrics, and that's what made it cool. And then, of course, white culture co-opted the term. And many people associate the rise of this hustle culture, which, as I mentioned, is white and cisgendered, male, privileged, North American. Many people associate it, though, with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Uh, you know, the whole rise and grind and crush it kind of like work, work, work attitude. Um, He's one of the biggest proponents of that. And hustle culture is a focus on work productivity and worth that, as I see it, has one root. It's a particular version of a Christian philosophy that has now been stripped of its Christian identity, but still permeates North American culture. And you don't have to be Christian to be affected by it. Hustle culture is toxic in part because of toxic productivity. It's kind of like a sub philosophy of hustle culture. Toxic productivity holds that we must be productive at all times. We are resources from which wealth or at least value, in other words, productivity must be extracted. And so it follows then that under the spell of toxic productivity, we must be productive at all times, including home and work, extracting from and exploiting ourselves because we believe that we have no other value than what we produce. And sadly, toxic productivity doesn't even let up once the task is complete, because once you're technically done with a project at work, you might feel guilty for not having done more. And this attitude to productive Uh, toward productivity is connected to the extractive economy of capitalism, which sees the value of anything as arising from the ways in which wealth, in other words, resources, money, labor, et cetera, can be extracted from it. And this idea gives us the term human resources for just one example, which like, I remember when, uh, when the term came in and I remember being horrified at the time, like we're people, we're human beings, not human resources. Anyway, Under capitalism, which is an extractive economy, humans and nature have no value whatsoever except from the how they can be exploited. Uh, Humans, exploitation of their labor, uh, nature, extraction of its resources from which wealth can be generated. So that's why capitalism, and as I was doing the research for this, I was like, duh, I I could never understand why folks and especially uh, businesses were so reluctant to protect the natural world. Um, And it's because in and of itself, to them, it has no value. The only value of the natural world lies in the resources that can be extracted from it and from which wealth can then be generated. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Toxic productivity also equates productivity with moral virtue. And conversely, of course, non-productivity, rest, enjoyment, play, pleasure, these are equated with immorality. And you may have heard the saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. This is a very common phrase. Uh, It was popularized, believe it or not, by Geoffrey Chaucer, who's a 14th century poet. But the idea has its origin in the Christian Bible. And this is just one example, the Bible verse from James 1. uh, Yes, the verse from James 1, verses 14 and 15. Idleness is the handmaiden of temptation. Laziness often yields not only thorns, but temptation, which leads to sin yielding death. So even though you might not be Christian or espouse Christian values, or even if your Christianity is different from these, we live in a culture that's steeped in Christian beliefs, values, and attitudes. 
um, American evangelicalism has long walked hand in hand with modern consumer capitalism. And modern consumer capitalism is really a new form of old time religion, not simply compatible with modern consumer capitalism, but uniquely dependent on it. And I, again, I've got the links uh, where you can investigate these ideas more uh, in the description below. All the things under this way of thinking, all the things we need to do to support our humanity and care for ourselves are demonized. Food, pleasure, joy, and rest, to name only a few. Um, the most classic example is that, uh, that has made its way into popular culture are the Catholic Seven Deadly Sins, which again is not evangelical or um, from that particular form of Christianity and Christian fundamentalism, but the same flavor permeates um, productivity and guilt that comes through the Catholic tradition as well. And it's interesting though to note that greed, although considered sinful in the Christian tradition, is a value that's promoted now, not as greed per se, but as the unbridled growth and consumption that characterize capitalism and the budget culture belief that money and the acquisition and retention of money is an end in itself. So um, your virtue is tied to how much money you have. And so therefore uh, we don't talk about it in greed, in terms of greed anymore, but really in terms of virtue that the, um, accumulation of money and wealth is virtuous. Uh, hustle culture is toxic because it holds that our success is evidence of our worthiness. So you have to hustle and always be striving because of course, if success is evidence of worth, then it logically follows, it logically follows that poverty or lack of success is itself the very evidence that you're unworthy. Like what circular reasoning, how, how can you win? This ties us up in a relentless hustle so that we can feel worthy, right? I put feel in quotation marks because in truth, worthy isn't a feeling. Our sense of worth is a story that we tell ourselves based on external evidence and that generates positive emotions or negative, right? If we tell ourselves, wow, we're successful and famous and rich or whatever, um, then we can, uh, that generates good feelings. And if we tell ourselves things like, well, I'm not succeeding, uh, I'm a crappy entrepreneur, uh, I'm not producing anything, I'm not contributing anything, then of course the feelings that come are um, difficult feelings, right? Ne So-called negative feelings. A major origin of this connection between success and worth can be seen in Protestant Calvinism. Protestant Calvinists looked for outward signs of God's favor, in other words, through material success, as well as for ways to express inward virtue, in other words, through hard work. More recently, we see this in the prosperity gospel, that holds that material and especially financial success is a sign of divine favor. Believers maintain that God selected certain, certain individuals for salvation. And so the prosperity gospel expanded that concept to include financial and other successes as a sign of God's chosenness, of God's blessing. God makes believers successful, although ostensibly the success is always for a greater purpose. So financial and other well-being is believed to be the will of God for those whom God has chosen. So success is evidence of God's favor. So if the devout can be successful in business affairs, this is seen as a sign of God's blessing, right? It just goes round and round and round. If it sounds circular, that's because it is. Self-sacrifice is another issue that can be seen in many cultures, like the ascetics in Greek history, but it makes its way into North American culture via this particular flavor of Christianity. 
glorifying self-sacrifice in order to succeed is based in the asceticism of early Christianity, where denying the body and the comforts of this world was important in order for believers to focus on the coming redemption, which they believed would be any day now. They believed that they weren't going to be on the earthly plane for long, and therefore it was sinful to focus on the needs of the physical body and the here and now. And with self-sacrifice and denial, Christianity holds that a person defies the devil and joins heaven's side. And so in this way, Christian denial is not for its own sake. Like with the Greek ascetics, where it was an end in itself, Christian self-denial is for a higher purpose. In this case, uh, you deny yourself in order to be able to hustle 24-7 in order to generate wealth, which is a proxy for God's blessing, and thus an outward symbol of your inherent moral virtue and value. It's very, it's very difficult when we live within a culture that believes this, but yet we don't, it's not apparent to us unless we stop to think about it. And when you look at it this way, you can see how modern hustle culture is just this certain version of Christianity, but purged of theistic language. It's to me often shocking uh, to witness the reaction of North American folks when I talk about these things. Um, and it's shocking to them who don't profess to be Christians and don't see that we're living in a Christian culture to become aware of the degree to which their attitudes and their behaviors have been influenced by Christianity. And you know, I'm a deep and committed believer in a higher power. I have uh, spiritual practices on a regular basis that connect me like daily, that connect me to this higher power. Uh, I bring work with spirituality and uh, a sense of things uh, greater than us not even necessarily in a theistic way, although sometimes when it's relevant, I bring this concept to my work uh, as a whole and to my work with clients. It's very, very important to me. I, I'm a mental health professional with a master's degree in counseling and spirituality. And I have seen in both my education and in my practice, the significant role that spirituality and religion plays in people's mental well-being. So I'm not trashing religion or even, or spirituality, or even Christianity here. I'm pointing out the roots of a specific Christian way of thinking, the origins of which have been so obscured that it could be endorsed wholesale as good in this so-called secular culture. And the point of all this is that seeing something for what it is helps us make informed choices about our values and what we want for ourselves. And if after examination, this is, these are values that uh, are aligned with yours, that's fine. My main, my only purpose really in uh, offering this uh, reflection for you to consider is to make visible something that I have noticed in my work with clients is invisible. And when it's visible, then we can engage with it in a way that is, um, that um, I would say is full of choice. Uh, so that we can be autonomous and in relationship with ourselves in alignment with our greater values. So there's a quote uh, from a blog post that I want to read to you. For every freelance creative worrying that they should be listening to a more educational podcast while they're in the bath, sound familiar? There are vastly more people who work too much because they have no choice. This could be because they're underpaid, precariously employed, their boss is a dick, or they work in industries where long working hours and unpaid overtime are standard. And certainly my daughter's husband 
works in the construction industry and my daughter needs uh, support. She needs to be taken to an appointment uh, and she will not be allowed to leave the appointment without an adult to drive her. I'll be out of town. And she's, she, by the way, she's grown, right? She's not a child. And uh, her husband is not, has just gotten notice that they're not allowed to have any time off between now and such and such a date because it's the busy season. Like it's, and this is common that folks who uh, are working in certain industries and under certain conditions, um, their long working hours and unpaid overtime is standard. And this is just my personal example of this. And so, you know, when this is the reality for many people, success depends so much more on uh, than uh, it depends on so much more than God's blessing or on personal factors like how much we hustle. Success, our success or the lack thereof, is determined to a significant degree by privilege, and this includes things like the luck of who you know and being in the right place at the right time. One of the things it makes me think of, I grew up in Kingston where Queens University is and Elon Musk is my age, not that I'm holding him up as anybody um, as anybody uh, to emulate, but interestingly, uh, because I lived in Kingston, I could have gone to Queens and had I gone to Queens at the time that I did, I could have bumped into uh, Elon and maybe been part of that circle. And we call that luck, but what were the circumstances that brought my family to live in Kingston in the first place? What were the circumstances that sent me to the feeder school that was associated with Queens, you know, feeder high school that was very closely associated with Queens? Like it's luck and privilege, luck, the luck of my privilege that I could have been there at the right place at the right time. And there are many stories of folks who did go to Queens who uh, are, who did hang out with Elon and that crowd and whose uh, circumstances, you know, had they been a rising tide lifts all boats, right? That they were, they were connected and were able to benefit from that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Current, right? These are the advantages that are invisible to the individual that give them a leg up over members of un underestimated groups. So like, Unless I actually say, hey, I went to Queens and uh, was hanging out in social circles with so-and-so, and you see me then as successful later, like unless I'm transparent about my luck and so-called luck of my privilege, you'll, you'll never know. No, no other person will ever know another person's individual privileges that give them a leg up over members of underestimated groups. And in fact, several experiments have shown that small random initial advantages can spiral into huge ones. Success can breed success and equality breeds more inequality. I know this also <clears throat> uh, when I did anti-poverty activism, uh, I learned that this was the case. And then myself, uh, I was a, um, a single mom and receiving social assistance. And right away I could see that my situation different, differed from those of my peers because I came from a socially middle-class family with folks who were educated and folks who had um, beliefs about what they were entitled to in terms of rights as human beings that uh, led them to advocate for themselves within systems. And so I came to the social assistance system with this belief that I had rights, that I was a valuable human being and that I didn't have to take crap that, um, that I could uh, stand up for myself. And my peers who came from generational poverty did not have those same beliefs. Furthermore, uh, I was able to receive all kinds of material support from my friends and family who were not themselves poor. 
where uh, the folks around me who are in generational poverty didn't have those same kind of resources, right? And you just can't see these things um, unless, again, unless I make them explicit to you, but uh, this is an example of how inequality breeds more inequality, that my peers who came from generational poverty had so many more barriers to overcome and like it was it was just difficult and many of them uh, didn't uh, move away from their situation of poverty because those barriers made it impossible for them to do so. So I want to give a caveat about hustle culture, though. It's it is toxic, except when it's not. So it isn't always toxic. Sometimes it's a normal survival impulse. Right. And a and a person who's living under the conditions that I've just described, where they have to hustle, it's a normal survival impulse. But also, if you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, anxiety about business survival or success can propel you into action despite yourself. And you can find yourself overworking even when you don't value that behavior and even when you acknowledge that it's harming you. And so I want to say, if this is the case for you, there's nothing wrong with you because this is a normal survival impulse. And if you want to change it because it's harming you, one of the ways you can work with this urge to do something, or if you have just, if, the, if it's the opposite for you where you don't have the urge to do something, but you're uncomfortable resting, is to check in with yourself. You can say to yourself, hmm, like I notice that I've got this urge to do something, that I should be doing something. Is this something that I really need to do? Do I really need to go and do something? Or is this an anxious part of me that's pushing me forward? Anxiety about our business survival is what we could call a natural phenomenon. It's normal when you're in survival mode to feel anxious and pressured to hustle to do what you need to do to survive, right? And this is the case whether you own a business or not. Uh, when you do own a business early on in the startup phases, there may actually be a need to work harder and longer than you would in an established and more mature business. And this anxiety, this survival anxiety can hang on in later stages of your business when it's no longer true that survival is at stake. And some parts of you can have a hard time catching up with the newer reality that your business is viable and surviving and maybe even thriving, especially when you're so busy right? And your head is down and you aren't able to connect with yourself and be present in this moment. And those parts of you that have had a hard time catching up, they need to be able to take in that things are okay now. So another way that you can work with this anxious drive to hustle or your discomfort about resting is to acknowledge that your anxious parts are trying to help you stay safe. And you can offer these parts appreciation for their efforts to help you stay safe. And you might also want to reassure them that you're with them and taking care of them and paying attention to them, right? That they don't have to be um, alone with these difficult feelings. It's very important to note that when you're appreciating and reassuring your anxious parts, that you're not covertly implying that they shouldn't worry. Worrying is their job and it serves an important purpose, ensuring your safety. However, they may benefit from being brought up to date, so to speak. So after and only after you've let them know that you're there with them and care for them, 
you can invite them to look at the world through your eyes. You can invite them to take in the idea that that was then and this is now. You can invite them to notice that you and they are here now on such and such a date at such and such a time in such and such a place and that the business is going okay. And you can pause and rest and notice what happens when you invite them to take that in. And if they're still anxious, you can say to them, yes, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that my safety is, an, um, is important. Thank you. And I'm here with you. So here are the five ways that toxic culture harms you. It separates you from yourself so you can't make decisions and act from connection with your own values. It keeps you overwhelmed so you can't look at the bigger picture and address systemic issues. Hustle culture glorifies and perpetuates overwork and that leads to stress-induced physical and mental illness. Hustle culture's self-denial leads to negative health and mental health consequences. And hustle culture feeds harmful beliefs and self-talk about worthiness and unworthiness. So here's how to heal from hustle culture and build a thriving business. And I'll address these five facets of harm one by one. So hustle culture separates you from yourself so you can't make decisions and act from connection with your own values. Here's a way to respond to that. Business and life, as you probably have uh, experienced, are not separate. And so the first step is to look at internalized narratives and heal from them. You can um, initially, the work is to become familiar with your own values and notice how Kassel culture is a certain Christian philosophy and morality that is stripped of Christian language so that it's accepted whole cloth by so-called secular culture. You can notice how pernicious it is in your life and how it shows up. And then when it does show up, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is maybe a hustle culture thing. Are these my values or someone else's? Are these ideas or beliefs that I've accepted without reflecting on them first? And then once you've become clear about that, you can replace hustle culture thoughts with thoughts that support your own values. So for example, um, if you're resting and you're feeling that impulse to do, 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 you can, uh, after having spent some time with your anxious parts and given them some, re some, some connection um, and validation, you can uh, then ask the question, huh, I wonder if these are my thoughts or if I got them from someplace else. And if you got them from someplace else, you can say, yes. So what I really value is offering myself some connection in this moment and seeing what next steps arise from that. I have to say though, that this is often easier said than done. So it can be helpful to journal on this regularly and to get, a, and to get support from a professional like me if you're not making the progress that you would like. Number two, hustle culture keeps you overwhelmed so you can't look at the bigger picture and address systemic issues. Slowing down is the antidote to hustle culture. Checking in with yourself and connecting with your values is what will pull you out of the trance of overwhelm. It requires time and space. But the good news is that once you're familiar with your own values, sometimes the space needed is only minimal. And here's an example uh, linked below uh, of, a, of a breath awareness practice that takes only six minutes. And uh, you might like to give that a try 
And then after you have, you might like to see what it's like to take a quick peek at your value statement and see how you relate to the urge to hustle now. So hustle culture glorifies and perpetuates overwork leading to stress-induced physical and mental illness. So how do you address this? Once you've understood how hustle culture overwhelms you and disconnects you from your own values, you can begin to make different choices about your behavior. And you can also begin to notice and understand how stress affects you. You can learn what to do about it and take time for that. Uh, I have an excellent resource. It's the Mental Health Plan Self-Directed Workshop. And uh, in that workshop, it lays out all the details of understanding uh, what you're how you're impacted by stress and what your signals are so that you can intervene and how to do that in a way that's integrated into your regular business planning so that it doesn't become one more thing you have to do. And again, I'll link to that uh, in the description. Another excellent resource for this work is the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And you can also learn more about the three principles of stress resilience and apply them to support your mental and emotional well-being. And again, that information is linked. It can also be helpful to re-examine your ideas about work and productivity. Uh, Brittany Berger is a, a content producer who writes about what it means to be productive when you're a chronically ill business owner. And her newsletter called Work Brighter helps you go beyond working smarter to a version of productivity that makes room for unproductive things like rest, self-care, and fun. And Becca Rich is a holistic time coach who helps you make time for what's most important from both a soul and a practical news um, a level. And you can sign up for her newsletter. There's a link in the material referenced um, in the description. So hustle culture self-denial leads to negative health and mental health consequences. And making your needs and care a priority can be easier when you've cultivated this new way to think about work and productivity. And so, uh, as I mentioned, one, so after you've done this work of uh, decoupling and getting clear on what your value, decoupling uh, your own value and productivity and um, thinking about work in a way that uh, is aligned with your values, uh, you, um, managing your needs can, and care for care and your, and your behavior to care for yourself can be uh, easier. And uh, one tool for prioritizing your mental and emotional well-being uh, is to include a mental health plan as an integral part of your business planning process. And as I mentioned, there are details about how to do that uh, in the description. Hustle culture feeds harmful beliefs and self-talk about worthiness and unworthiness. So what do you do about that? One of the best tools to use when your self-talk becomes harsh and unsupported or your internalized critic feels overwhelming is cultivating a gentle inner relationship with yourself. And I've demonstrated this and uh, given you um, invitations for ways to do that throughout this. And the self-compassion work of Kristen Neff is an excellent place to start this journey as well. And when you're kind to yourself, as Kristen Neff's research has demonstrated, you flourish. When you're kind to yourself, you flourish. And when you flourish, you're resourced, capable, and creative. And when you bring those capacities to your business, it will also flourish. So my current relationship with hustle, as I talked about in the beginning of this, uh, you know, in the spring of 2023, it was not the best. I was really driving myself, even within uh, the limited boundaries that I had, I gave myself permission to really drive myself within those parameters. So 
I would say my current relationship is kind of a, with the hustle, is a happy ending in progress. And, you know, ultimately, whether or not you let go of the hustle depends on how much a critique of hustle culture resonates with your values and on a decision to do the inner work to live more in alignment with those values. Uh, and because I'm at heart anti-hustle and pro-human, with reflection and support, I was able to see through my own bullshit and I saw that I was distressed. The source of my distress in the spring, a main source, was um, that I was still hustling. So I asked for help to plan how to reach my goals and set my priorities in my business that uh, were it, that was in a way that was aligned with my values. And then I also engaged support for my planning process and that the outcomes of those processes and that support was what uh, now ultimately determines what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So I can expect less of myself in the moment uh, and let go of what doesn't get done. And this way I don't kind of keep robotically moving forward, caught in a trance of doing the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And so generally speaking, I'm much happier and more relaxed now, and I'm enjoying working for myself again. I'm enjoying my evenings and weekends and I have the capacity, and this really matters to me, outside work, I have capacity left to address the demanding situations in the lives of the people I care for and love. And I need and want to care for myself by regularly checking in through self-reflection and with the support of others. This is what helps me be aware of what I'm doing. And it helps me ensure that I'm continuing to make choices that serve me and not the parts of me that think that if I work intensely, I can do more in eight hours than is humanly possible, enabling me to get everything done. Because I don't actually want to get anything done anymore. Thanks for listening. I'm Shula Meet Bear Levtov, and I'm the Entrepreneur's Therapist. And if you'd like to learn more about working together, you can book a free call with me. And the link is in the description.